This is Planet Money from NPR. Hey, just a quick note. Today's show is about India's massive experiment to get rid of cash. It originally aired in 2017, and we've got an update for you at the end. So stay tuned. On November 8th at 10 p.m., the prime minister, Narendra Modi, got on TV and out of nowhere said, all of the money in your wallet, it is totally worthless, starting now. We have decided that the 500 rupee and 1,000 rupee currency notes presently in use will no longer be legal tender from midnight tonight. 500 and 1,000 rupee notes, that's about 85% of the cash in India. The 500 and 1,000 rupee notes hoarded by anti-national and anti-social elements will become just worthless piece of paper. Worthless pieces of paper. Imagine that. Imagine President Trump gets on TV and says all of the 10, 20, 50, and $100 bills in your wallet, they're not worth anything anymore. And India is not like the U.S., where most people have credit cards and debit cards. 90% of business transactions in India happen in cash. And a lot of that cash is, to use Modi's term, black money. Black money is basically any money that is outside of the tax system. It's become kind of a catch-all phrase for corruption in India. Modi said you have one month to take your cash to the bank and exchange it for these new bills that we have just minted. And you can change out a maximum of about $60 a day. $60 a day is a lot of money for most Indians. Most Indians live on less than $2 a day. But it's not that much money for wealthy Indians. And this limit, said Modi, meant that criminals and big-time tax evaders would be stuck with these big stacks of cash. Country will get success. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. After Modi's speech, India's entire economy ground to a halt. People are still lining up for days to exchange old money. has provoked a frenzy as hundreds of millions of Indians don't have bank accounts. Some reporters died of shock while others committed suicide. People waited for eight hours in the blazing sun to change their money at the banks. Small businesses went bankrupt because nobody had any money to buy anything. A baby died because his parents didn't have cash for a taxi to the hospital. Saranjan Gupta traveled to the central bank in New Delhi from his farm in Gujarat. It was an 18-hour journey. His wife had just died, and he had found 3,000 rupees, about $45 worth of old bills that she had been saving in her sari. But the 30-day period to change money was up. Saranjan headed to the central bank in New Delhi because he heard that they could make exceptions. So he came here with this money and his wife's death certificate. But the people at the bank said, nope, you're too late. You've missed the deadline. Your cash is worthless. He was standing on the sidewalk outside of the bank, and he showed his cash to me. He fanned the bills out, and his hands were shaking. He told me this money represents months of farm work. I can't afford to lose it. Why had Modi done this? What was he thinking? And how had he come up with this plan? I started looking into this, and I kept seeing one name. My name is Anil Bokil. Anil Bokil. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Stacey Manick-Smith. Today on the show, we meet the man who pitched this idea to Modi. And this man, this man who brought one of the biggest economies in the world to its knees, 1.3 billion people, 
is not a famous academic or policymaker or government minister. He didn't even study economics. What did you study in school? In India, that study hardly matters because our life is such a varied institute. So wait, what did you study? (laughs) Are you not going to tell me? It turns out Anil's plan is not about economics or even politics. Anil Bokil says he is on a spiritual quest to fix India's economy. Support for this podcast comes from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, helping NPR advance journalistic excellence in the digital age. I'm Sarah Rosalski. I'm Gregory's mother. Did you imagine Greg would grow up to become a Planet Money newsletter writer? I'm really not surprised because he really loves to write. My whole book club now is all signed up. <laughs> really? Yeah. How do you subscribe? Go to npr.org slash Planet Money newsletter and then subscribe there. The term for what Prime Minister Modi did on November 8th is demonetization, as in the government demonies the paper you've been spending. Its power as currency is taken away. This usually happens when a government falls or a country has terrible inflation. India did it once back in the 70s, but the bills it demonetized were bills that most Indians didn't use. Anil was a child at that time. At least, I think he was. Um, Do you mind if I ask your age? My age? (laughs) <laughs> I'm now close to my destination. Oh, no. It doesn't seem like this is. You're very good at not answering questions. <laughs> Anil Bokil has presence. He's tall and lean and sort of luminous. It looks like someone turned a flashlight on inside of his head. He has deep set eyes and this very playful smile. I met him in a conference room at a hotel where he said he would give me the same presentation he'd given to Prime Minister Narendra Modi, the one that had rocked the entire Indian economy. Anil grew up in Latour, an agricultural city in central India. Both of his parents were school teachers, and Anil was a shy, sensitive kid. I'm a good social observer. I can observe very keenly that kind of high sensibility I have. There was a lot of poverty in Latour, a lot of people living on less than a dollar a day. That bothered me a lot. Anil says the economic situation around him didn't make any sense. There was plenty of food and plenty of money all around. And then there were all of these people who couldn't get at any of it. It seemed so unfair and so unnecessary. Anil studied engineering and got a job as a mechanical engineer. He ran a team that designed specialty machines for pharmaceutical companies. I used to create something new. So innovations were there and such a kind of, it was a really satisfactory thing. But Anil never stopped thinking about poverty. His mind kept going back to those same questions that he'd had when he was a kid. He and a group of his engineering friends started getting together to talk about social issues. They would sit around and drink tea and and wonder why India struggled so much economically. What is the basic cause of all this mess? Why it is happening in India? That uh, something is wrong with the system. We used to enjoy that. And these guys were engineers. They spent all of their time making machines and systems to fix problems. So they started to think society's a system, the government's a system. Something is happening in those systems that is resulting in poverty. So let's fix the system. Poor is a product. So that's why we are emphasizing on the technical correction, technical solution we need to have. Anil got more and more into this idea. 
He would stay up late mapping out the process that was resulting in all of this poverty and inequality. He would draw all these diagrams, just like he did when he was designing a machine. Finally, he showed his work to an economist he knew. And the economist was really interested. He thought it was really intriguing. And he got a group of his colleagues together and asked Anil to present his idea to them. What happened at the end of the talk? So it was very nice. It was amazing. It's, uh, there was a standing ovation for that. Very memorable. It was a very memorable experience. Did you think, like, this is what I've got to do with my life? Yeah, no, this is my duty. The destiny has given me this duty, and I have to spread it now. I have to work for this cause. Anil quit his job and started traveling all over India, thousands of miles every month, giving his talk to anyone who would listen. Local government officials, professors, business people. How many times have you given it? Like, a hundred times? Far more than this. Far more than this. A thousand times? Again, more than that. More than a thousand times you've given that presentation. Yeah, yeah. Anil moved to the city of Pune. He thought it would be a good base for him. It's kind of an international city. Some of his very passionate engineering friends even followed him there. And they founded this group devoted to these ideas. They call it Arthrakranti. So it means economic revolution? Yes, yes. Is that, and, and you believe in, in this revolution? Yes. Arthrakranti isn't very big. There are about a dozen members, mostly accountants and engineers, and they meet here at this little cafe a couple times a month. And so I joined them one morning. Hello. All our friends. Hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Nice to meet you. Hello. Nice to meet you. Hello. Nice to meet you. They sit outside, drink really strong tea. Oh, yeah. I would love some. And talk economics. But it's not exactly economics. You've been a member for how many years? Uh, Gandhi member? Nine years. Nine years? years. That's a long time. Yes, yes. This is the part. uh, What is the meaning of life and what should I do? So this isn't just economics. This is like uh, almost a religion. Yes. At this meeting, Anil is revered. He wasn't actually at the meeting. And everybody kind of talked about him in these hushed tones. Anil is their visionary. He's this inspired, compassionate man who left his job and left his home and devoted himself entirely to making people's lives better, to fixing India's economy. We call him Guru Mama. Guru means uh, Guru you know, right? And Mama is the brother of your mother. Oh, it's like your uncle. Uncle. You call him Guru Uncle. So the group was meeting a couple times a month. Anil was traveling all over India, hawking his ideas. And then in 2013, Anil got his big break. The chance to pitch his plan to Narendra Modi. <laughs> when I met to Mr. Modi, he was not prime minister. That time he was uh, chief minister of uh, one province, that is Gujarat. Still, word on the street was that Modi was going places. In certain ways, he was controversial, but he was also known as a politician who made things happen, who actually had the ability to cut through India's notorious bureaucracy and get things done. And Modi was also known for thinking outside the box. He had a business background, and he didn't do kind of typical politician things. Anil had the feeling that this might be his guy. So he started trying to get a meeting with Modi, calling his office, writing emails and letters to him. Finally, he got a response. Okay, Modi will see you. You have nine minutes to pitch your plan. So seven minutes was sufficient time for me. You can do this in seven minutes if you have to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anil Bukil flew to Gujarat with a couple members of Arthrakranti. 
He fired up his projector and started the PowerPoint presentation that he had literally given a thousand times before. The one he is about to show me. You just put your phones on silent. But my phone... I'm putting my phone on silent. And just to give you an idea of how the guru uncle rolls, he does not click his own PowerPoint. One of the Arthur Cronty members does it for him. When he says this... Click. And here it is, the PowerPoint presentation that rocked India. So we're looking at a, it's like an apartment building with a bunch of pipes yeah, and like... The height of apartment shows the responsibility of governance. It's a cartoon drawing of a high-rise apartment building, kind of a 1990s-style graphic. The building has all these pipes bringing water into it. And the building represents India. And the pipes represent resources, resources that the Indian government is giving to its citizens. But the pipes in the picture are all twisted and cracked, and water is spraying out into a big pool on the ground. And this, says Anil, is the problem. The gushing out resources are called black money. A separate pond is forming there. That's a parallel economy. Click. Anil says these pipes should be bringing plenty of water into the building. India should have enough tax revenue to support its people. But the system is broken. Money is getting sucked and siphoned out of it because of tax evasion and corruption. And so the building does not have enough water. And a shadow economy has developed. Click. In the next picture, a giant head slides in next to the apartment building. It is smiling and wearing sunglasses and sucking water out of the pond of black money with a giant straw. And you see the face, the size of face. It's like a huge head. Huge head is there. That's a corruption. It's like smiling and wearing sunglasses. Yeah, it's like a mafia. Oh, it's like from mafia movies. Yeah, it's a mafia like this. This is the corruption that is keeping India so poor. Now, who is suffering now? Click. A new character appears in the picture. A little hunched over man with his hands cupped under a spigot at the end of the pipe. He is waiting for a drop. So here is the last man unprivileged common man. It is around 50% of our population. He's our poor farmer. He's not getting resources from system. As long as the pipes are leaking, the government will not get the money it needs. Corruption will grow, the head will get bigger, and there will not be enough for the poor farmer. So, how do you fix it? And what's the global definition of money? I don't know. Money is a medium of exchange. It's the definition, no? You look upset with me. <laughs> no, no, but it's so, it's so, it's so. So how this can be corrected? I mean, you have to get rid of the big head. But for that, what we have to correct first? Um, the black money? The messed up pipes? Yes, that's the solution we are asking for. I'm so excited if that I got it right. Stop it. Anil says India needs to make the money that is flowing through its economy trackable taxable. Cash is not trackable. It's anonymous. In order to really fix the pipes, you have to move away from cash and towards credit cards and digital payments. Those are transparent and traceable. Only then will India have enough water for the whole building. Only then will the poor farmer get his share. And so, Anil concludes, India needs to start getting rid of cash. Demonetization. So you, um, so you showed the slide to Modi of the... Yes, yes. This is the simplest way we can explain in the form of... Did he say anything about the cartoon? Nothing. He was so nicely. He was just understanding everything. He was smiling. 
In fact, Modi got so into it, says Neil, that the meeting went from its original nine minutes to 90 minutes. Some kind of a confidence, yes. If I get a chance, I will do it. And he was, said that? He said that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The following year, Modi was elected prime minister of India in a landslide. Anil said he started having calls and meetings with Modi's advisors. And a couple of years after that, on the evening of November 8th, Anil was at his little shared office space with some Kranti members when all of a sudden everybody's phone started ringing. So many phones. My phone was ringing. Everyone, everyone was calling us. Saying, did you just see Modi on TV? I think he's doing your plan. The crazy plan that a bunch of engineers had cooked up in their off time. The plan that Anil believed in so much he left his job and his home and devoted his life to it. The plan Anil had showed a thousand times to a thousand different people had just happened. The prime minister of India had actually done it. Is it exciting to watch it play out in real life? We don't rate our joy in excitement. We call it enlightened. I'm enlightened. You're enlightened. I'm enlightened. I was not sure how to process any of this. The animated slides, the giant mafia head, the enlightenment. So I took everything to Bhaskar Chakravorty. He is originally from India, and now he teaches economics at Tufts. But yes, Stacey, I think uh, the Indian context is, is helpful. First, on the whole spiritual aspect of Arthur Kranti, Bhaskar says India has a long history of genius ideas given to people by God. He told me the story of Srinivasa Ramanujan, a young man from the south of India. He had almost no formal training in math. And totally on his own, he came up with a bunch of really sophisticated theorems that had been done by some of the best mathematicians in the world. When asked, he said that the goddess spoke to him uh, at night and gave him the proof. In many ways, people in India are actually quite comfortable, you know, going back and forth between uh, science and spirituality. The lines are uh, sometimes quite blurred. And they get blurred here, too. We have Christian capitalists and religious organizations that work with politicians all the time. Alan Greenspan once said the philosophy of Ayn Rand provided stability to his life. And anyway, says Bhaskar, taking advice from an outsider is kind of Modi's style. Modi prides himself on anti-elitism and kind of going with his gut. But what I really wanted to ask Bhaskar about was the economics. He is an economist, and I wanted him to look at Anil's plan and tell me what he thought. Bhaskar says his first impression was that this is a really smart plan, really well thought out. But... It is very much of an engineering approach, which takes a whole bunch of different economic and sociopolitical issues and finds logical interconnections uh, among them and then comes up with some conclusions. And that makes economists nervous, says Bhaskar, because economists rely on data. They compare one changing data set to another changing data set. It's nuanced and time consuming. The uh, real world is a messy place, and uh, simply putting these system diagrams on a page uh, is not a sufficiently strong argument for policy. For instance, mafiosos getting money is not a direct result of people not paying their taxes. The two are related, but it's not that simple. It's not water in a pipe. And just because people pay more in taxes does not mean that the mafia will get less money or that corruption will go away. Bhaskar says a society, an economy, it's not a machine. It's a complex living thing made up of complex living people, people that you really need to take into consideration when you're making policies. That's the problem. So-called educated 
trained economists they used to make use of every statistical data I ran all of this by Anil, and he said this is exactly why problems like poverty never get fixed. Economists and their endless data collecting, endless speculating about the consequences of every possible action. Meanwhile, the system creating poverty gets more entrenched and nothing happens. But the whole time Anil was talking, I just kept thinking of Saranjan Gupta, the grieving man who had found the money in his wife's sari. Anil's clean, logical drawings had made a mess in his life. They caused him real harm. It's inconvenience. It's not a harm. There was some harm. I mean, some people lost their businesses. There were people who died standing in line. I mean, it was no people used to die in a bed also. We are but, not that, we are okay. not that emotional because you're not emotional about it. No, we are sensible. We are not emotional. But I mean, you're such you're such a compassionate person. I mean, all of this is to help the guy on the end. But it, it's striking me that people that struggled the most were like the the little old man at the end of the pipe. I mean, did you feel That's, responsible for that? Since he's he's not new to this kind of suffering. But they suffered more because of demonetization. It was, it was a necessity. It was a must. Because these are my country fellows. These are my family members. But we need to have it. The treatment may feel like some kind of a pains before, but it is for the correction of your disease. Anil says this is what Modi liked about his plan. It was a solution, a bold, crazy, amazing solution to some of India's biggest, most complicated diseases corruption and poverty. Young India will be totally different, totally different. A very graceful India we are looking forward now. Do this, said Anil, and it will hurt. People will struggle, things will be bad, and then the country will start to heal. Poverty will end. People will get their dignity back. India will be the great economic powerhouse it was always meant to be. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Salesforce, a customer relationship management solution committed to helping you deliver the personalized experiences that customers want. Salesforce, bringing companies and customers together. Visit salesforce.com slash learn more. Hey, it's Guy Raz here from How I Built This on NPR. And on our latest episode, we tell the story of how Andy Puttycomb and Rich Pearson turned Andy's experience as a Buddhist monk into a guided meditation app. It's called Headspace, and it's now used by millions of people around the world. New episodes come out every Monday. Listen and subscribe right now. We've gotten a lot of emails about demonetization. In fact, it was the thing that inspired us to actually go to India. So please tell us what you want to hear on Planet Money. It will make a difference. It shapes the show. Email us, planetmoney at npr.org, or find us on Facebook or Twitter. Planet Money's editor is Brian Erstadt. Alex Goldmark produces the show. Today's episode was produced by Sally Helm. And I have a few people I would like to thank. Nishant Tahia, Aparna Aluri, Allison Traeger, Ashutosh Falke, and Chavi Sashdev. I'm Stacey Vanek-Smith. Thanks for listening. It's been a few years now since India's prime minister got on TV and made that announcement that upended India's currency system. 
Now the data is in on how demonetization actually affected India's economy. We just did a newsletter about it. You should totally subscribe. One of the central characters in the newsletter is this guy, Gabriel Chodoro Reich. He's an economist at Harvard University. And he and his team, uh, they found that India's demonetization caused a two percentage point crash in economic growth during the first few months after the policy was implemented. To put that in perspective, around the time, the Indian economy was growing at just under 2% per quarter. So essentially, the policy completely halted economic growth. The decline could actually be seen by satellites. The economists used pictures from space to try and measure economic activity. And the country actually looked dimmer as restaurants, bars, cars, and factories, all affected by the downturn, turned off their lights. On the other hand, demonetization made more people use electronic forms of payment. And once new cash replaced the old notes and people adjusted to the new payment system, things pretty much returned back to normal. So Gabriel has some advice. If you're a country out there looking to get rid of cash, maybe you should do it a little bit more gradually. I'm Greg Rosalski, and this is Planet Money from NPR. <laughs> 